0: Hi, I'm Sue, a very grateful member of the Al-Anon family groups. Hi, Sue. And I want to thank Connie for asking me to do this. I haven't done this in a while. And uh, we were talking about it, and we have so many newcomers in our group that we thought we'd do this. And, Ben, we're starting at the very beginning of the steps, there's a part on page 5 in the Al-Anon 12 and 12 that usually is never read. The steps and their structure. As we study and apply the 12 steps, we see more and more clearly how carefully they were thought out in the skill procession in which each word was chosen. Written in the past tense, they share the experiences of those who have have gone before us and offer us an ongoing guide for recovery today. The first three steps suggest that our human resources such as intelligence, Knowledge, strength, and even hope are not enough to solve our problems. As others have done, we need to accept the help of a power greater than our own, guide our thoughts and actions. These three steps show us how to bring that power into our lives in an active, workable partnership. Step four suggests the first action to be taken. It is reinforced by step five, six, and seven, which points the way to overcome the personal faults that have caused so many of our problems. Step 8 and 9 are, again, action steps. They ask us to make specific corrections to relieve us of our burdens of guilt and confusion. Step 10 asks us to continue the effort begun in Step 4, searching out our shortcomings and working constantly to rid ourselves of them. Step 11 urges us to establish a constant contact with a power greater than ourselves through prayer and meditation. Step 12 suggests the need to practice these principles in all of our affairs and to share our spiritual growth with others. Okay, step one. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. The principles of step one is, number one, we, and number two is powerless. And when I first uh, got to this program, I did not understand why they would keep that step, our steps were adapted from Alcoholics Anonymous. And so if it wasn't for Alcoholics Anonymous, we would not have an Al-Anon program. And I'm so grateful that um, Bill Wilson, Dr. Bob, Lois, and Ann um, realized that the same steps that work for the alcoholic would work for the families of in helping them to recover from the same disease. I'm the kind of Al that believes that uh, because I've lived so many years with the disease of alcoholism that I have it. And I think the funny part is is that once an alcoholic becomes sober, we're all alike. We all have the same character defects. But I didn't understand why we were powerless over alcohol. Um, the first thing I had to um, to understand was we, and I uh, came to understand the we part of it because I'd been trying to do it my way. I had been trying to do it all my life up to that point, and nothing had worked. And I was told in the very beginning that my best ideas got me here and that I had to rid myself of all my good ideas. And that I had to literally reprogram my brain into rethinking. And uh, um, then I had to admit that I was powerless. And my sponsor told me at one point that uh, walking into this room was admission that I was powerless. But I could not understand why it said alcohol. I'm powerless over alcohol because um, I drank and and used and went right along with the alcoholic. If you can't let them join them, drink it instead so they can't pour it out, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I could take it or leave it, I found out. And at first, uh, when i go to AA speaker meetings, I identified with alcoholics, and I wondered if I was one. And so I tested myself the first 30 days, Uh, because I identified with the AA speakers. Back then, we didn't have Al-Anon speaker meetings, uh, but I identified with the AA speakers. And uh, so I heard a speaker say that if you think you're an alcoholic, have one drink every night for 30 days, and if that's all you have, then you're probably not an alcoholic. And uh, Keith was, my husband was in detox. And so I thought, well, he's in there. I'm going to do that and see if I am one. And so I went home. I'd been down to a meeting at the hospital where he was at. And I went home that night, and I opened a can of beer. And I sat down, uh, laid down on the couch to watch TV. And I fell asleep. And I woke up the next morning, and there was half a can of beer there. And I thought darn, if I'm going to find out if I'm an alcoholic, I've got to drink that whole beer. <laughs> so uh, the next night I thought, well, it was the beer. I don't like beer that well, so I'll, I'll drink wine. And so I poured myself a glass of wine. And I did the same thing. Yeah, I laid down on the couch to watch TV and uh, woke up the next morning, and half a glass of wine was there. And I thought, darn it, if I don't drink this, I'll never know if I'm an alcoholic or not. <laughs> <laughs> and uh then it dawned on me if I was an alcoholic, the six pack wouldn't be there and the gallon of wine would not be there and none would be enough. And uh I had to uh I had to learn a lot of things. I'm so grateful for the long timers that were in the program when I got here because the only book we had uh was our al-anon big book and the cover said living with an alcoholic when i walked into my first meeting i saw the cover of that book it was like a neon sign and it was the first time in my life i felt that i was home and i'd found answers i'd tried a lot of stuff and uh, none of them it ever worked and i knew that when uh, i saw the cover of that book i knew that you knew and i felt comfortable i felt at home i listened to people share they answered my questions before i asked And uh, I knew I was in the right place for answers. I had to hit a very hard bottom before I got here. Uh, There was a lot of uh, violence in our home, and most of that violence was caused by me. And uh, I didn't know that at the time because it was if he didn't drink, I wouldn't have to act that way. I was blaming all of my actions uh, on him. And... uh, so I didn't think that I was powerless over alcohol. I didn't understand that. And my sponsor took me because that's the big book of Almond was basically the only literature that we had. It was the only book we had. And uh, then shortly after, we got the one-day-at-a-time book, and that was great for me. Um It wasn't until I was in the program quite a few years before they came out with an Al-Anon 12 and 12, and so Al-Anon used the AA 12 and 12 to study the steps. Everywhere it said alcoholic, uh, we put Al-Anon or our names in there. And and that's why we can use this book in an Al-Anon meeting. We cannot use the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. My sponsor took me through that book on our own. uh, But we can... Uh, I started the first Al-Anon step study in Orange County. We didn't have one. And I left a Friday night meeting out of a resentment. There were six women that went there all the time. And before I'd go to that meeting, I could tell you whatever one of the other five women were going to say that night. And uh, uh, one night a lady came in. Halfway through the meeting, and she was angry and she was crying. She'd gone to an AA meeting with her husband, and she said she'd told him before they went to that AA meeting for him to not kiss any AA women on the lips. And the minute they walked in the door, some AA lady walked up to him and gave him a kiss. And uh, one of the ladies in our Al Anon meeting said, I understand. Uh, I feel the same way. I quit going to AA meetings with my husband, and I told my husband that he couldn't go back to those meetings where AA women were. And I said, uh, I will never pull my husband out of an AA meeting. Those are alcoholics in there. And what I had to do is learn to make friends out of the AA ladies in those AA meetings, because they were there for the same reason my husband was, and that was to stay sober. And thank God for a lot of the uh, long-timer AA women in my life. They taught me so much about how to be a lady more than the al did. So I pulled from every resource that I had to get a better way of life. I came in here so tired. If you said, how do you feel? I, all I knew is that I was just tired. Um, my sponsor said one time are you comfortable and I said well it's the same chair that everybody else sitting in because I thought comfort meant how you felt sitting in a chair or something or how your clothes fit were they comfortable or that kind of thing I didn't know that comfortable was an inside feeling at that time never related it like that and so I had a lot to learn when I got here what I come to realize over uh, reading the Big Book of Alcoholics, Anonymous, that alcoholism is a disease, and the difference between myself and my husband, him being the alcoholic, is that he has a mental obsession for alcohol and a physical craving. He has a phenomena craving that I do not identify with, a physical craving like some of some of you I don't like chocolate but some of you crave chocolate a lot I don't identify with that craving you give me chips and dip and boy I'm off salsa I'm off and running can't have just one and I had to use those kind of scenarios of uh how the difference between myself and an alcoholic and what I came to believe is that I had to admit that we in this room, because if I don't have you, I'm, I'm not a we, I'm an I. And I couldn't do this thing by myself, so I had to become part of you. I had to get a sponsor, and I had to become part of a home group to become a we. Uh, I had to learn how to ask for help because I was powerless, and that's the key. For me, i being powerless say, help me. And I am powerless over alcohol. And the way I learned that I was powerless over alcohol is that I had to understand that when my husband took a drink of alcohol, I was powerless over what the alcohol did to him. I was powerless over the reactions that I had to alcohol and what it did. I was not powerless over the alcoholic. I thought that that should say, I admitted I was powerless over the alcoholic and that it made my life unmanageable. And uh, that's not what that step says. Um, We can use that step to say I'm powerless over people, places, and things, and you hear people throw that around all the time. And we are powerless over people, places, and things, but that's not what this step teaches me. I am powerless over alcohol because some, when a, when a drinker takes a drink, I am powerless over what that substance does to that person. That's why I like our pamphlet on detachment. I can love the person and hate the disease and hate what alcohol does to that person. I thought that I hated my husband when I got here. I didn't know. It's like I have a choice. I can take a drink if I want one. I can set it down if I want one. I can drink as much or as little as I want. I can drink um, to take away all of my inhibitions because that's what alcohol does. It takes away all of your inhibitions. It's a a social lubricant in... uh, And it can work that way for me. But when what I've recognized in myself over working these steps is that when my inhibitions are gone, I become a very angry, violent person physically and mentally. And so I cannot afford for myself to drink if I want to be a lady. Because I uh, immediately come angry, I immediately want to attack physically, and I immediately become a trash mouth. Every part of me that is a lady would leave, because that's not the real me. Uh, When I drank, the real me came out, and I got to take out all my feelings on everybody and not even worry about the consequences for you or me. What I understand that it does to the alcoholic is that an alcoholic takes a drink and then they say the drink takes a drink. Because once they take a drink of alcohol, it sets up that phenomenon of craving. And once that craving's set up, because it's an allergy of the body that they have, uh, they can't control how much they consume anymore. I thought my husband was doing it at me and that he drank because he didn't love me, he didn't love our daughter, he didn't respect us. And what I understand today is that he drank because he could not not drink. He couldn't quit like I could. And, uh, <coughs> and when he drank... Uh, And Keith did the first step uh, this last Monday night in the AA step study. Uh, It's an open step study, and he's going through the steps right now, too, and it's the first time that he's ever done that, and he did a great job. And it was so funny because uh, I think it was Gail that after the meeting, Keith kept talking about he drank for the effect. And after the meeting, Gail asked uh, the Alamons, what's the effect? What's he talking about? What's he mean by the effect? Well, he just checked out. He was no longer responsible. He was no longer conscious. He did it to, uh, to go away. Mentally and physically, he was not accountable. Well, but when he drank, I reacted to that drink. And I became very violent. And I didn't have, even have to consume alcohol to be that way. When he took a drink, I became that way. And uh, toward the end of his drinking, uh, before we got to this program, it didn't matter if he drank a beer or he drank a fifth. I reacted just as violent with a can of beer as I did with a fifth because I knew that uh, once he started, it was going to get worse. And uh, I could not stay out of his face. Our lives uh, had become unmanageable. I know today that when uh, he drank and I reacted to that drink, I was no longer responsible for my actions. I was no longer responsible for the things that I didn't want to do, like be a mother. I resented my daughter a lot because she got in the way of my obsession. The alcohol is my husband's obsession and it is also my obsession i believe that i thought about his drinking just as much as he thought about his drinking our whole life was consumed with thinking about alcohol therefore after when he got drunk i wasn't responsible for anything that happened i couldn't be a mother i was um, became very mean and violent with my daughter because she wanted a mother and she interfered with my obsession. I did not have time to, for her. And I'd take my actions when uh, Keith wouldn't pay attention to me. I'd take my actions out on her. And so I became an unfit mother. Thank God the laws uh, today didn't, always, didn't apply back then. Or I probably would have <laughs> lost my child. Uh, I think it's very important in the first step on page 7... It says nothing uh, at first we're told, how discouraging it seemed at first to be told, there is nothing we could do to force someone to seek sobriety. And what I understand today is that all of the actions that I took to try to make my husband stop drinking only made me sicker. Because I'd bust bottles, I'd fill bottles up with water. Um, When he'd leave the house, I'd go on scavenger hunts, and I'd find the bottles. And I would uh, bust them in the middle of the floor, because I wanted him to know I knew, because he was always telling me I didn't, and the disease in him started telling the disease in me that I was stupid, I didn't know anything. And uh, the disease in me started believing all of that. The disease in me started questioning my sanity. Yeah, I did see that. No, you didn't. It never happened, he would say. Yes, it did. I saw it. He goes, you're going crazy. I never did that. And I would think, God, didn't I see that? You know, my whole life was unmanageable. I thought that I was controlling him, that if I poured that booze out, if I uh, filled the bottle up with water, I. It always baffled me how he got drunk on water, and uh, I didn't know he had bottles stashed everywhere. Yeah, and then when he would get the point that he wanted to drink more, he would add add uh, substance to his diet in order to be able to consume more alcohol. I went through uh, Can't Look him Join Him. I went through thinking that if we went to parties, if I drank more and got drunk, that I, I wouldn't be as embarrassed over his actions or I would have more fun. Uh, I would drink more because I always had to drive home and he's the man of the house and he's supposed to be responsible and the normal thing to do is that the man drives the woman and that used to just really upset me uh, when he'd get too drunk to drive home. So I'd think, well, if I get drunker than him, he'll have to drive home. Then there were two drunks in the car. (laughs) And... uh, All of that stupid rationalization, that's insane. It's just crazy. Um, I was getting the point at work that I was uh, non-functional. I couldn't remember. Uh, I was a secretary. I was an administrative secretary for a district manager of a company, and he would have me do his filing in his correspondence and my thinking was so muddled with what's he doing my husband that I couldn't file I would have three files for the same correspondence one would be under the man's name one would be under the company name and one would be under the subject of what that letter was in case he said what happened to that letter about or what happened to that letter that so and so sent me and so I'd have three files set up for everything, make copies, and I'd put post-it notes in all of the files in case I put one under the man's name. So when I looked under the subject and it wasn't there, then I could go to the man's name or I could go to the company name. And I remember after being in this program for a while, my, my boss asked me for a letter, and I went to the file and I pulled it out, and I thought, oh, my God, when did that happen? because I was in such a fog when I got here. I couldn't remember things like that. And in order to function at work, uh, back then you could go to doctors and get all of the diet pills you wanted. And I was on diet pills so bad because I couldn't function because I was so tired and so worn out because I didn't sleep at night. I don't know about you, but if Keith left the house, I had to follow him. Or I had to go find where he was. And uh, I didn't sleep. And when he was gone and I didn't know where he was, I had to be awake and at the door of the window. And I wasn't there by myself. I had my buddy with me. It was a butcher knife. And I was always standing there ready for him to get home. And... Uh, I used that stuff for a long time because I couldn't function at work without it. And my sponsor said one time, if we kicked everybody out of Al-Anon that drank and used with an alcoholic, we would not have a membership. And it's true. There are no virgins in here. Is there anybody in here that never drank? See what I mean? (laughs) I drank at him. I drank at him a lot. and uh, Because I wanted him to see how stupid it was. <laughs> By the time I got to that point, because I didn't guzzle like he did. I mean, my husband still guzzles. He puts a water bottle beside his bed at night, and when he wakes up in the middle of the night, go to the bathroom or whatever, I'll look over, he'll sit down on the side of the bed, get back in bed, and he'll take that water bottle and go, glug, 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 glug. I tried to do that one night, and I almost drowned myself. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a real talent to do that. (laughs) So um, I couldn't do those kind of things that he did, even though I tried. Um, Many instant, my house looked like hell. I never had time to clean house because I was either out trying to find him. And that's why I believe today that uh, newcomers, when they make the excuses, I can't go to that many meetings because uh, I need to do laundry. I need to clean house. I need to take care of my kids. If you really look at what you're doing when you're coming to this program, most of us are not good housekeepers. Most of us have stacks of laundry all over the place. And most of our kids are suffering from our tirades. And uh, my sponsor used to tell me, if you will go to a meeting for an hour and a half, you will go home a much better mother. But if you don't go to a meeting, you will remain a bitch. And that's exactly how she explained it to me because I would get on my daughter's case for nothing, for nothing. I uh, told her one time to clean her room up. It always looked like hell, never mind the rest of the house that I was responsible for because I never focused on myself. That's why my life was so unmanageable. I always pointed the finger at everybody else. You do this, you do that, and controlling the world. In the meantime, my part of the world's falling apart, and so am I. And getting physically sick with stuff. And, uh, God, I remember one night, Keith didn't come home, and I cried all night long. And I'm not talking about just whimpering. I cried hysterical, screaming and yelling and all that kind of stuff all night long. And my eyelids were so swollen the next morning, they looked like cellophane. And I couldn't go to work. They were almost swollen shut and just puffed up like crazy and I called in and said I got, uh, I don't know what's wrong I got an allergy in my eyes and they're swollen shut and all puffed up and I can't see and uh, I stayed home all day and put ice packs on them but the minute Keith walked in that door that day I surprised him because I was home and he thought I'd be at work so I jabbed him I gutted him that day to show him you can't fool me My life was unmanageable. I had stacks of laundries everywhere. If you're not that kind of Al-Anon, you're at the other extreme. You are cleaning the corners with Q-tips. Yeah. And then you're a bitch when anybody, you clean the bathroom and stand in front of the door. Nope. Nobody's going in there. I just cleaned the bathroom. What are they supposed to do? Go out to a tree? You know? Nope, you can't get anything out of the refrigerator. I just cleaned up the kitchen. Nobody can eat. I just cleaned the kitchen. Don't walk on that floor. I just mopped it. Okay, well, I'll walk on the ceiling. How stupid are those comments? How unmanageable is all of that? I used work as a diversion from the disease of alcoholism. My life was so unmanageable, I slept on the couch all the time. Keith worked uh, out of town all the time. I could not go in that bed by myself. And when I got Talon on, my sponsor said, Your life is so unmanageable, you can't even go to bed. And uh, she told me I had to start sleeping in my own bed. And I said, I can't do it, it's too quiet because I slip on the couch with the TV on. I could not stand quiet. And so what she got me to do is um, go to bed. I uh, had to get a walkman, and I put speaker tapes in it. And uh, I went to sleep every night with uh, long-timers like Arbutus O'Neill, Ramona, Elsa Chamberlain, every night never heard a complete tape when I went to sleep. But listening to those ladies' voices lulled me to sleep. I'll forever be grateful to those women for carrying the message to me. I got so good at Ramona's talk, I could have given up myself. And the, the neat deal about that is that... Uh, I got to meet all those women. Romana was from Oklahoma, Arbutus was from Texas. You guys have met them too. A bunch of you have never even uh, uh, heard of any of them. Elsa Chamberlain lived in Laguna, went down to her house all the time and let her explain to me why I was powerless. And. Uh, I went to any lengths to get this program because my life was so unmanageable. I wanted to get better more than anything in the world. Still feel that way. Because I refuse to let alcoholism take my life over again. Because what I understand about alcohol and alcoholism is that it is a progressive disease. It tells us that in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Our literature in Al-Anon tells us that uh, we can refer...